Uh, I'll tell you guys, there's a couple things, and uh, live, people who are live streaming, uh, we're going to have that up. If it's not up now, it's going to be up shortly. Uh, you can find the handout, uh, and when I say handout, it's actually not like a fill-in-the-blanks handout. It just gives you a demonstration of what creation of Christ looks like. We actually have, uh, from Mission Focus 2020, we have some different examples of what creation of Christ looks like. And so uh, for those who are online, you know, you can open another tab, go to lffellowship.com, go to Mission Focus. You can even look at the archive, and it will show you on the Saturday creation of Christ uh, study, you'll see that there's a, a few documents available to you. So you can go that way, or if you're here, it'll be, it'll be available in a second. Um, and I'll tell you this, though. Uh, I, th I honestly think this is probably the safest place in the world to be because everyone at, at Midtown Baptist Temple has already had COVID. Uh, and so, you know, just, uh, right? This is like, it's true, yes. Uh, herd immunity, right? We're like, Sweden has it, has it down. You know, weren't they the ones? You know, it, it failed. It failed miserably there. <laughs> but, but it worked here. It worked at Midtown. And so, uh, man, if you are... If you're thinking about still coming, even right now, uh, rest assured that this is probably the safest place in Kansas City uh, because uh, Midtown was like, man, let's get that over with and now let's keep going, right? And so uh, I'll tell you this, though, if, if, uh, if that didn't give you assurance, um, Highway 71, um, driving in here, um, if you weren't right with God... Uh, you know, so, so Highway 71 got me ready to hear Sam's message. I was, you know, uh, if, if it wasn't for Highway 71, maybe I would have been a little cold, but, but uh, you know, most of it's fine. And then like the bridges, you're like, <laughs> like uh, so uh, <clears throat> I think I'm, I'm fully right with the Lord. And uh, I had to go to Walmart and grab some new underwear because, uh, you know, might have been a little bit right there, but. Uh, did anyone drive in from south like, like me, you know? What's it? You know, now, for the most part, it's normal. Then all of a sudden, like, you're driving and the bridge is like, yeah. <laughs> and so, anyway, um, man, it's good to be here, though. And uh, that was me stalling for a little while. And we're, we still don't have them, but we'll get them. It, that, that's not that important, but we'll get them, we'll get them coming. Uh, man, I'll tell you, it's refreshing to be with you this morning. And... Uh, I hope that you guys have been challenged at Mission Focus this week. Uh, every time Brandon and I have discussed Discovery Bible Method, and this has been something that has been near and dear to our heart for uh, many years now, but it's always challenging again. And sometimes it's even encouraging to say, I'm doing that. Like that yeah, I'm doing that. Like That's what we do. You know, when we, when we meet together, yeah, we're, we're sharpening one another and we're discovering the scriptures together and, and the light bulbs are popping off and it's just, uh, man, it's, it's, a, it's a good thing. So anyway, you guys ready? <clears throat> yeah? Okay, let's pray. We'll get into it. Father, we want to say, God, you're, you're worthy to be right with <clears throat> and so are your people, as Pastor Sam was saying uh, earlier. And so, <clears throat> God, we just want to say thank you. For your grace, thank you that you are glorious. Thank you that you deserve all the praise and honor today. Lord, I just ask that, uh, God, you'd receive it. I ask that you would be high and lifted up as you are, but
but not only in reality, but in our hearts, in our lives, that we would set you to that exalted place that you belong to be in and that you deserve to be in. Lord, I pray that we would uh, heed to the words of the message that we just received, that God, we would not uh, be robbing from you or having bitterness in our heart towards brothers and sisters or hiding secret sin that we think is only our undoing, not knowing that, God, it has a radical effect on the mission that you've given our churches. God, make us to be one. Uh, Make us to understand that all is required is repentance, not to manufacture some righteousness of our own or to bogard some secret sin and and uh, in faux repentance, give it to you. But God, just for us to simply give those things to you, help us to be a people that, um, God, see you for who you are, see ourselves for who we are, that we acknowledge our guilt, our, our wrongdoing, and that that would magnify your grace. Lord, we love you. God, we pray these things, knowing you're faithful. God, I know that there is no ability for me to communicate your word, and so I ask that your Holy Spirit would do so. And I also know that there's no way for us to understand your word except for your Holy Spirit to give us ears to hear. Uh, Lord, it is true that we are dull of hearing. And so especially when we are now on Saturday morning, so many good messages. Um, Lord, I just pray that you would make us effective ministers of the gospel. And Lord, I pray that you would use today to do that as well. Please change us so that we can walk out of here afresh and anew and uh, in 2021 Uh, anxious and uh, uh, full of of life and victory, knowing that you want to accomplish a work in us through Bible studies and sharing the gospel. Lord, we love you. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen. I had no idea where I was. I was kind of like, you know, I kept walking back and forth. I I could be, I would have been like standing here. Amen. You know, Uh, so I thought I was behind the pulpit. I don't know how I got over there. Uh, Well, good morning, guys. You're already like two seconds away from leaving, aren't you? You're like, you're like, come on, bro, please. Proverbs 25:11. Proverbs 25:11. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in pictures of silver. Which means, which means, I love that verse, by the way. But what that means is quite evidently, there are also words that may not fit. A word fitly spoken, a word that's fitly spoken, man, that's like like apples of gold on on a picture of silver, on a picture of silver. Man, it's just this beautiful, like still life painting, if you will. So if we know that a verse like that is true, it also suggests to us that, that, that quite evidently there are also words that don't fit. There's words that don't fit, and they will be of no profit and will appear out of place. Proverbs 25, 25, same chapter. As cold waters to a thirsty soul, so is good news from a far country. And so it proves to reason by a statement like that, that cold waters in a blizzard are not as satisfying, right? As cold water is to a thirsty soul, man, so is good news from a far off country. If that's the case, it proves to reason that cold waters in a blizzard are not satisfying. Isaiah 50 verse four, the Lord God hath given me the tongue of the learned, 
that I should know how to speak a word in season to them, to, to him that is weary. This verse, it makes me think of Job's friends. Those guys, man, they were spitting game. They were spitting knowledge all over the place. And yet, none of their statements, none of the statements of Job, of Job's friends, none of those statements had any direct benefit. Look at that. Look at that. If you, if you want to grab those, those notes, uh, maybe hold your hand up. Thank you so much. I'll pause just for a second because I know whatever I'm going to say right now is not going to help. Isaiah 54, once again, it says, The Lord God hath given me the tongue of the learned, that I should know how to speak a word in season to him that is weary. God has given you the knowledge of his book. There's a reason for why you and I have been given knowledge of the Word of God, and it is so that you and I would be able to give a word in season to him that is weary. Just like we think of Job's friends, man, they were spitting game all over the place, and yet none of their statements had any direct benefit to Job. They were saying all this awesome, this this great wisdom, but it had no benefit So often Christians have great amounts of insight into the Word of God, but little of it has lasting effect for the weary soul. So many times we, man, man, especially when you go to a church like Midtown Baptist Temple or many of the other churches in the Living Faith Fellowship, besides Living Faith and Lee Summit, when you go to a good Bible teaching church, right? What you have is you have, men so many opportunities to have the Word of God just, just dumped on you, and yet when we, when we then find ourselves ministering to others, we have all of this great insight, and yet none of it has a lasting effect on a weary soul. Ecclesiastes 12.10, it says, the preacher sought to find out acceptable words, acceptable words. And that which was written was upright, even words of truth. I think too often we as believers are focusing on the wrong things. We crave knowledge instead of virtue. We long to be wise when God simply desires our obedience. And I'll tell you, growing up in a church that taught the Word of God as the final authority of our lives and we... we, We're taught that, we believed that in some manners, what that could produce in you was a person who was so pharisaical in our mindset that the pursuit of knowledge and knowing that book and not the application or the living out of that book, well, man, that was just, that was all over the place, right? It was all over the place. And that's not any fault of the book, mind you, which is how some churches will will behave. Well, that model's awful, so let's get rid of the book. And it's like, man, how foolish. No, we need to change. But so often we we crave knowledge and we we, we seek after it because it seems like that's the thing that's being exalted, when in reality we need to be virtuous people. We long to be wise when God simply desires our obedience. John 1, 22, then said they unto him, who art thou? that we may give an answer to them that sent us. What sayest thou of thyself? Who, who are you? I want to give an answer to those who are asking, who are you? Obviously, they're speaking of 
Jesus. 1 Peter 3, 15. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Brothers and sisters, I believe that the lost world is still asking questions. I believe it with all of my heart, with every bit of me, no matter what the latest statistic is on whatever Christian website and how the world is becoming more atheistic, the world is becoming this and that, I am convinced with every bit of my soul that the world is still asking questions. And in fact, I believe it's on an uptick. The problem is not whether the world is asking questions. The the problem is whether Christians are willing to give answers. So the world is asking questions, but see, when they ask of the hope that lies within you, when the world asks the hope that lies within you, we respond by answering a question they're not asking. When, When we answer the question that they have, we respond with some answer that they're not asking. People want to know why you're a Christian. They do. Man, we just moved into a new neighborhood closer to our church. Our church just bought a building. And and so at that point, once our church had the building, we wanted to move closer. So our family moved closer. And and sure enough, man, um, the neighborhood kids are asking our kids. And they're saying, so are you guys religious? And they're asking these different questions to my my nine-year-old and different questions. and, and, And not like really wanting to know, more wanting to interrogate. In some ways, even trying to rob my own kids from me. And, and so they, they ask these questions, and, and here's, here's the thing that's going on, is whether, whether in an attack or whether in inquiry, the world wants to know, who are you? The world wants to know that. You're different. Who are you? People want to know why you're a Christian, not who Melchizedek is. They want to know who, who are you? People want to know why Jesus, not whether or not Adam and Eve ate an apple or maybe it was a grape. People, listen, that stuff's fascinating. It it really is. What was Adam's blood like before the fall? You know, and the whole joke, did Adam have a belly button? Right? You're like, wait a second, I've never actually thought about that. Right? Man, all that stuff's fascinating. And and guys, I mean that. I mean that. It's kind of fascinating. You start going down that path, and the Bible has the answers. We believe that. And I'll tell you this. You want to study about Melchizedek? Whoo! Have fun. Enjoy it. It's going to be great. And it will actually point you to who? Christ. We know that. But listen, before we go down those, those rabbit holes, the people that are in your life that don't know Jesus Christ, listen, Melchizedek what? They don't don't need that at this point. What they need right now is, why are you a Christian? Who is Jesus? And why Jesus? You see, we want to take people down these paths of this deep knowledge that we have in the Scriptures, but it's not leading people to an answer. You see, the issue is not that the lost world has a lack of interest in the spiritual. The lost world is more spiritually minded now than they have been since before the age of the Enlightenment. 
The issue, or one of the issues, is that we are not listening. We're not listening. The lost world is more spiritual. Guys, I, I, uh, for, for my, I'm still working at a college. Um, I'm, I'm an art professor, uh, as well as being the pastor at Living Faith. And at my school, I have more than one student every semester who is wanting to make some type of art project on witchcraft. They want to make some type of art project on some type of, you know, man, it used to be 10 years ago that like my biggest problem was that all my kids wanted to make anime, right? And I'm just like, I want to shoot myself in the face multiple times. Please stop drawing anime characters, right? And, and you know. It's the same thing. <laughs> well, it is though. And so what anime and all this mystic, you know, Eastern uh, uh, philosophies and religions that have come in, well now, well, witchcraft, and it's grieving to me. And so my point is this, it's like, oh yeah, that's so bad, that's so bad. No, it's spiritual. And our world is becoming more and more spiritual and because we as believers stepped off the podium, instead of declaring, thus saith the Lord, we said, anyone else want to share? And then the person who has no relationship with God, but they are fueled by the God of this world, says, I will. Let me tell you about Wicca. You think I'm kidding? And maybe some of you guys are like, well, no, that, that seems, uh, maybe that's, maybe at your school. Open your eyes. It's everywhere. It's everywhere. It's in your homes, it's on your TVs, and it's not like, oh, that's in those weird shows that are, you know, on cable or what, <laughs> you know, I've never had cable, so I'm like the guy, it's like, ah, I wish I had cable as a kid, you know. <laughs> My parents are like, no way. No, but this is not some weird show that you watch at like two in the morning and you're like, oh, demons, and it's so creepy, but I have to watch it. Man, this is on, all, this is everywhere. It's, it's on every platform. It's all over the place, and your kids are being inundated with it, and so are we, and it's becoming normalized. Our world is more spiritual now than they ever have been. The issue, at least one of the issues, is that we're not listening. The second one is that we're lazy. We're lazy. Yes, we're giving the gospel, but we're, maybe, but we're doing so in a way that does not reveal to lost man why he is actually lost. We say, you need to get saved. He says, I'm not lost. We say, you need to accept Jesus as your savior. He says, I don't need to be rescued. Do you guys see the problem? You see the problem with where we're headed? And then we say, well, I guess he didn't want it. You need Jesus. I'm, I'm good. You need to be saved. I'm not lost, right? I don't need to be rescued. I'm good. Well, I guess he just didn't want it. Listen, listen, he or she, they don't even know what they don't have. They don't even know what they don't have. Our gospel witness becomes inept, not because of knowledge, but because we are not considering the questions people are asking. And secondly, we are not showing the world a contextualized gospel. As we know in Bible study, as we know in Bible study, for anyone who has gone through discipleship too, for some of our churches, or maybe you have learned, maybe, maybe through Pastor Mark Trotter's uh, Keys of Bible Study book, or maybe your church taught some type of rules of Bible study to you, 
as Brandon was saying just yesterday, one of the most important things we understand with, with Bible study is what? Context. That we have to establish context. And in fact, when we don't establish context, that's where we get all these false teachers, false religions, false understandings of the Bible, and we allow ourselves to go down to weird places where we're baptizing for the dead and doing different things like that. Context. We, we need context. Context is key. If we keep giving a thirsty soul a powdered donut, don't be surprised when they seem disinterested. You got this white powder donut, and you're just like, you want one? And they're like, no. I want some water. If we keep doing that, because we don't, we're not properly framing the gospel in a way that they can understand and receive, don't be surprised when they seem disinterested. Listen, it's not that a powdered donut is not appealing. They're okay. Let's be honest. Chocolate donuts are better. But maybe, maybe you're a powdered donut guy, right? But man, it's not that powdered donuts aren't appealing. It's, it's that it's just not answering the right question. A guy just finished running a race. <laughs> you're like, I got some powdered donuts or I got some water. And they're like, I'm going to take the water. Right? It's just not appealing in this context. You're not asking the right question or you're not answering the right question. So then how does the gospel become cold waters to a thirsty soul? Isn't that the question that a lot of us would love to ask? How can I make the gospel, right? How can I make the gospel be that, that refreshing drink that the world needs? How can I do that? The answer is one word. Context. Context. The answer is context. I believe it is our responsibility to provide a contextually sound gospel to the lost world. Not the pastor's responsibility, not your small group leader's responsibility, not your ministry head. Our responsibility, it is our responsibility as the body of Christ to provide a contextually sound gospel to the lost world. Not just giving the gospel, but declaring the why of the gospel. We must declare the why of the gospel as well. So then today, I'd like to introduce an evangelical tool. I believe it's an evangelical tool, but I also believe it's an equipping tool. I believe that it's both evangelical and equipping, and it's called the creation to Christ, or from creation to Christ. Creation to Christ was first developed a few years back in association with the Discovery Bible Method. In fact, Creation of Christ, that was, it was almost like hand in glove with the Discovery Bible Method. It was intended to engage people groups that were either unreached, unengaged, or post-Christian in nature. Its first intended purpose was to be missionary in some manner to where it would go out to places that were considered unreached nations or areas of the world, unengaged people groups, or possibly even post-Christian groups in nature. In some instances, the creation to Christ story was told in picture format. The Bible study is simple in nature. It's not a complicated study, and what you're going to find out is that um, what I'm going to show you, you know, when you're like, here's the curriculum. It's a list of, of passages. The, the curriculum's a list of passages, really. It's not complicated. It's simply a series of passages from the book of Genesis to the Gospels. 
And the primary goal is this. There is, there is a primary goal and there's a secondary goal, but the primary goal is this, to deliver the complete story of the gospel to the lost. The primary goal of from creation to Christ is to deliver the complete story of the gospel to the lost. In that, it seeks to provide a contextual framework for the gospel. Thus, it's answering two questions. What is the gospel? But more importantly, why the gospel? This series is desiring to answer these two questions. What is the gospel? But secondly, and maybe more importantly, why the gospel? So that after they are able to answer both of those questions, we are allowed or we are afforded the opportunity to bring people to a place. We are bringing them closer to the understanding or closer to truly understanding the gospel. We are trying to bring people. It's not my responsibility to save anyone. I'm going to put myself in the position to where maybe by God's grace, he will use me to do that, to bring someone into a place where they repent. But we know whose job that is, right? That's God. God that, that's, this is God's opportunity, man. And this is his desire. It's his will. I just want to be faithful and obedient to the call. The word of God told me to do this. I want to walk in obedience to that. But I don't want to be lazy when I do that. So I want to do that in such a manner to where if I'm giving the gospel in some context, creation to Christ being the model that I'm speaking of right now, if I'm going to do that, I want to share with people, number one, what is the gospel? But number two, what we sometimes don't do is we also have to say, why the gospel? Why do you need the gospel? Why do I need the gospel? I'm hoping that in answering those two questions, I don't know if they're going to get saved or not, but I'm hoping to do this. I'm hoping to push them closer to where they can understand, where they can truly understand the gospel. And so this is something, and guys, this is where I, I think that the Creation of Christ series is, is, is so great in, in a myriad of ways. All people, lost and saved, Listen, for those who claim to be followers of Christ, if you claim to be a follower of Christ, the creation to Christ study equips you. It equips me to know more fully God's redemption story for man. You're like, Dan, I already got saved. I'm, I'm already a believer. I already have put my faith in Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord for that. Amen? But I'm telling you, this study, if you walk through this study it will give you a holistic understanding of the redemption story that is found in the person of Jesus Christ. It will equip you to more fully understand God's redemption story for you and I. But for others, maybe they've grown up religious. Maybe they didn't. Possibly they've gone to church their whole life, but they've never made the personal decision to accept Christ as their personal Savior. For that individual, my prayer is that they will come to know him as their redeemer. So whether or not you're saved, or whether or not a person is lost, and in a room this size, I can't say that I would assume that everyone knows Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. I hope it's true. But, but whether you are saved or lost, this is the cool thing about this study. The desire is to do this, to draw us closer to him. Now, isn't that great? Seems like some studies, you know, that are evangelistic in nature, they, they may have little benefit for the person who is 
already a believer, but I'm convinced as we study throughout the Old Testament and we end in the Gospels that whether lost or saved, it magnifies Christ. It magnifies who He is and it brings us closer to Him, which is just good in every regard. Amen? And so for the lost person, though, my desire is that they will come to know Him as their Redeemer. And so here is one of the main points of the Creation to Christ study. This is one of the main points, and I think I do have it on the board. Maybe I I don't. We'll figure it out. What we're hoping is that at some point, at some point, all people, all people will be confronted with the fact that we are sinners separated from God. The Creation to Christ study As you walk through these passages, as you walk through all these passages, if you had a handout, you saw that there's just a list of passages. If you walk through these passages, the goal, one of the the main things that we're trying to get down, one of the main points that we're trying to accomplish as you walk through this is that each and every one of us would realize that I am a sinner and I'm separated from God. That my sins actually separate me from the Savior. Interesting the message that Pastor Sam gave us just an hour ago. What was it that caused separation from God? What was it that caused separation from God's blessing? What was it that hindered the work of God in Israel's life? Was it not sin? Sin always separates us from God. And and guys, maybe some of you guys, this is like, 101. I get that. But the world doesn't know this. And so what we're trying to do with this series, with this study, if you were to go through creation to Christ with a lost person, as you engage with them, what you are trying to do is get them to a place where they realize, my sin has separated me from a thrice holy God. I have now been separated from God. Isaiah 59, 1 through 2 Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save, neither his ear heavy, that it cannot hear. But, did you guys catch that? The Lord's hand is not short, that it cannot save, neither his ear heavy, that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God. And your sins have hid his face from you, that he will not hear. Sin brings separation. Sin brings separation. Too often Christians speak of being saved or being born again, but we fail to communicate what that even means. Are you saved? When did you get saved? When were you born again? Are you born again? Are you saved? Are you a child of God? When we use these words... They're biblical, by the way, so please, I'm not, I'm not like trying to apologize for that. Do you guys understand that? Are you a Christian? These are good words. Are you saved? If I can just time out for a second, never stop using those words. They're biblical words. Amen? They're biblical words, so I'm not trying to, to, to push down some type of verbiage that the Bible uses as being antiquated. That's not what I'm trying to say. That is not what I'm trying to say. But too often we use these words and we don't communicate what it actually even means. Well, I accepted Christ as my Savior. What does that mean? Well, I was born again, you know, 
15 years ago, what? You're 40. <laughs> you know? And, and literally, we, we think it's funny because we read the story of Nicodemus, and Nicodemus is like, I uh, got some questions, Jesus. And we're like, oh, Nicodemus, how foolish. You don't think the world is acting like that? You don't think the world, when they hear Christians say, I was born again, don't you think the world, the world doesn't know the story. They don't know the difference between a physical birth and a spiritual birth. They haven't read John 3. They don't know what you're talking about. I accepted Christ as my Savior. I was born again. What do those things actually mean? One of the primary motivations of this series is to not only lead people, all of us closer to Christ, but to show first and foremost that we are all lost without him. Key point number one is this. I am a robot. Key point number one. To be saved, we must first realize we're lost. To be saved, we must first realize we're lost. Guys, I don't know, man. Maybe, maybe half of this message right now is just things that you already know. But I'm telling you this. When you are witnessing to someone who does not know Christ, if you don't bring them to this place, have fun. Have fun. It's not, you're not going to get to where you want to be. To be saved... We must first realize we're lost. The problem for some of us is even as Christians, we fail to realize that. Or not as Christians, but I'm saying as, 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 as even believers in the Word, not we fail to realize that. We've, we've drifted from it. You know? We've drifted from the fact that, man, didn't God save you from such a horrible life? You were lost without Him. You were separated without Him. Lost in your sins. Romans 3.23 for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All of us. Romans 6, 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. To be saved, we must first realize we're lost. This is, this is the second thing I was wanting to bring up, though. I mentioned earlier in, in the study. Let me get there real fast. I said we need to make sure that we are delivering the complete story of the gospel to the lost. We need to make sure that we are giving the, the complete story. Let's give a contextualized gospel. But secondly, we need to understand this. Without sin, without sin, there is no need for a Savior. Without sin, there is no need for a Savior. Without man's falling away, there is no need for God's work of redemption. Without man's falling away, without people recognizing that at one point in human history, man fell away from God, man fell away from his plan. Without man's falling away, without the recognition that we are all sinners and separated from God, there is no need for God's work of redemption and reconciliation through Christ. The world has been trying to convince you and I and the lost in general that you were born good. And that it's only because something happened to you because of your parents or because of, of some kind of nurture versus nature situation or because some type of circumstance that has now caused you to behave in such a way, it's not your fault, it's, it's everything that's around you. And so if you get medicated enough or you, or you have a certain type of, 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 of time with a with a counselor or whoever, that then that's going to get you back on this track of you being good again. You're fixed. Right? 
And what the world is trying to do is they're trying to distance us from a reality which the Word of God clearly says and which you will learn and your person will learn with you as you go through the Creation of Christ study is that man has fallen away from God. <clears throat> but if we don't understand that, if we don't establish that fact, we will quickly, we will quickly, <laughs> quickly see that if people don't know that they've fallen away from God, there's no need for God's work of redemption. So when you ask someone if they want to give their life to Christ, do you want to give your life to Christ? You want to be saved? Most people have no way to grasp the severity of that question. Did you guys catch that? That question is a severe question. Do you want to give your life to Jesus? When you think about it within the context of man being fallen away from God and someone, one of us, comes on the scene and says, do you want to give your life to Christ? Guys, this is the movie scene. This is the moment right before everything's going to fall apart. This is the place where the person is about to lose it all. This is the place where the person says, yes. And yet we ask it like it's just some kind of, you know, typical question. You want to give your life to Jesus? We're doing it in such a way to where people don't understand the context of statements like that. To give your life to Christ is in recognition that I'm lost, that my sin has separated me from God, that there's no hope. I need to be redeemed. Do you want to give your life to Christ? There's no hope otherwise. Yes, I need him. You see how, but we don't do that, do we? And even when we preach in the manner that I'm doing right now, and maybe that's motivational, maybe it's not, I don't know. Even when we allow the pulpit ministry to do what it can do, praise the Lord, people get saved from that, from some type of motivational or inspiring message, right? They get saved in those ways. But I think what Brandon, you were saying the other day is like, man, you know, the way a person comes into the faith is usually how they're going to walk in the faith. And so... If they come into, into the faith because me or some other cat up here gave this powerful and convicting message, do you know what they're going to need every week? Another convicting message. And the moment I kind of blow it, which anyone who's at Living Faith knows, that's pretty frequent, right? The moment I blow it, guess what? It was okay. It was okay. Man, and, and I get it, man. The pulpit ministry is powerful. It's effective. It's needed. It's, it's biblical. I'm not trying to diminish that. But I'm saying this. The way that we bring people into faith is how you're going to continue to, to, to grow them. And so if we grow them into understanding a full contextualized gospel, as they continue to grow, they're not going to be waiting for some dynamic message. No, it's, this is what the Bible says. I understand completely that I'm lost. I'm separated from God. And I realized that I need to be redeemed by God through his son, Jesus Christ. And now it's just like, what else am I supposed to do? Do you want to give your life to Christ? What? Yes, yes. For the lost, listen, they didn't grow up reading the Bible. And we can't assume that they know the stories. In fact, what creation to Christ presupposes is that they don't know the stories. What this curriculum presupposes, and curriculum probably is a little strong of a word because it's just like, it's like 26 passages. It's just like, read the Bible, <laughs> study the Bible out, whether maybe use discovery Bible method or, what, or another method, I don't, I don't know, but let's, let's study through the scriptures to where God can begin to show us who he is. 
So let's cut to the chase. Creation to Christ doesn't begin with the cross. It doesn't begin with John 3.16. Romans Road, although incredibly powerful, comes a little later. It doesn't just begin with the fact that Christ died for you. It begins with the fact, and this is very critical, it begins with the fact that there is one true God. That is where creation to Christ begins. Creation to Christ does not begin with a bloody Jesus on a cross who's dying for you. Although that's the most significant moment in all of human history, it does not begin there. We gotta, we gotta bring someone to that place, right? We gotta get someone to that place. We can't just start there. We have to build up that case. We have to give a contextualized gospel. So we need to take him off the cross for a moment and we need to backtrack throughout scripture to get to a place where what? We realize and they realize there's one true God. There's one God. You see, before you assume that they want to honor God, you're wanting to reveal to them that he exists. To me, that's kind of humorous. Like, but, it's, but it's the reality. Before you want to get people to submit to God, you need to honor God with your life. Man, a lot of them are asking the question, is there a God? You need to, to honor God and live for God and love God with your whole heart. And they're going, I, you know, cool, but I don't even know if there is a God. Creation to Christ is trying to get us to a place as we study throughout the Bible, as we study throughout Genesis and some of the books of the Old Testament. It's trying to work out the narrative to where everyone realizes as we submit to the scriptures, there is a God. He exists. So let's start here. Do they even believe in him? Secondly, the passages that make up the creation to Christ study demonstrate fully not only that there is a God, but that he is the creator of man and of all creation. The first thing that you are trying to establish is, number one, that there is a God. Secondly, you are looking to establish that he is the creator. That yes, there is a God, but secondly, he created you and he created all of creation. But then a horrible thing happened in Genesis 3. There is a God. He is the creator. He created you. He created me. But a horrible thing happened in Genesis 3. Man fell away from God. In this moment, man lost his innocence before God and inherited a sinful nature. And stop right here, guys. I know you guys know this story, but the world doesn't. And so I'm trying to give you an understanding as to how we could break this down and bring someone to a place to where they could, they could follow along. God exists. He created you. But then there was a horrible event in human history. Man fell away from God. Man lost his innocence before God. He inherited a sinful nature. And so ever since Adam's fall, we have all been born sinners. I'm not a sinner because I sin. I sin because I'm a sinner. I'm born this way. You need to know this. From the beginning of time, from the beginning of time, following this event, and from the beginning of time, I'm sorry, the God's redemption plan was found in Christ. Acts 15, 18, known unto God are all his works from the beginning of the world. What you're trying to do is to show people that he is not crafting his plan as he goes along. God is not crafting his plan. He has known it from the very beginning. 
This is what we're trying to get at with teaching a Bible study in this format. We want people, we want to walk a person through significant parts of the Old Testament so they can fully see, fully see the relevance of God's redemption story, which culminates with Christ. Christ dying on the cross was not a plan B. God was not slowly just trying to figure it out like, oh, crap, man fell into sin. Ah, dang it. What do we do now, right? No, that, that's not the case. We know that. And the Bible says that from the very beginning, God knew what he was going to do. Christ dying on the cross was not a plan B. Ephesians chapter 3, 1 through 3, it says, For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles, if you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which is given to me you, uh, to you word, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery. God made known unto Paul a mystery. Verse 5 it says, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of, of men as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. Listen, there was a plan from the beginning. It was hid. It wasn't understood. It has now been revealed that from the very beginning of time, God was going to use his son, Jesus Christ, to redeem all of mankind. God is not crafting a plan, but there has always been a plan. It's always been there. Ephesians 3, 9. And to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ. There is a story and plan of redemption, and God has been slowly telling it to us for millennia. And it began, as many stories do, in the beginning. That's the story, and we can bring people through that in the beginning. So if this is the case, why wouldn't you tell it as well in that manner? In the beginning. Simply put, Christ dying on the cross was not some last-minute Hail Mary. It was a well-orchestrated plan. Warren Wearsby said, The sacrificial death of his son was not an accident. It was an appointment. It wasn't an accident. It was an appointment. So let's backtrack a little, if you will. Let me ask you a question. Is this making sense so far, by the way? Yes? So let's backtrack just a little bit, and I want to ask you guys a question. We, we've talked about God, He exists, and the Word of God will establish that. We've talked about that He is the Creator. We've talked about a fall of man, which will lead us up to God's plan all along, was to redeem us through the person of Jesus Christ as He died on the cross and then rose again. We recognize those things. But let me ask you a question. Why did God make man? Why did God make you? Why, why did God make us? Yeah, and we, we probably know the answers, you know. Everyone's like, well, we've been taught this forever, right? Why did God make man? Let's turn to Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Now, I know all of you guys have read that because it's January 1st and we're, we're starting our Bible reading again, but, you know, and, and we don't get much further. After a while, we start tapering off and, you know, all that. But, but, man, we've read this verse. Even if you haven't read the Bible much, you've read this verse, and, and we kind of can kind of go over it and, and kind of move along. Uh, guys, 
Genesis 1.1, let's just, let's just stop and let's read it again. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Okay, okay. That's a big deal. That's a big deal. So what must not be lost is that a decision, God making the, the decision, a decision of this magnitude, that God would create the heaven and the earth, that God would do this, a decision of this magnitude carries with it a great deal of significance. Please don't miss that. Don't just read that and be like, well, yeah, I know the story. The fact that God would do that, we have to ask that question. Why would God make, that, make heaven? Why would he make earth? Why would God do that? Now, for us to fully understand that, maybe that will take us forever to understand the full depths of God's mind, I understand, but... A decision like that carries with it, man, a great deal of significance. So before we go any further, we must ask a very simple question. Why? Was God just arbitrarily creating a universe? Or was he just like, hmm, boom. Let's just do that. That sounds fun. Was he just arbitrarily creating a universe or was there a reason? Well, couldn't God just do whatever he wants because he's God? The answer is yes. Couldn't God just do whatever he wants because he's God? Yes, of course we know the answer. That's obviously yes. But when one considers, when one considers the full character of God as manifest in the scriptures, you will see that God doesn't do anything arbitrarily. Could God have just made a universe and made man and done all these things just because he wants to? Yes, we know the answer is yes. But as we consider the character of God, as it's unfolded in the Word of God, we are quick to realize that God doesn't do anything arbitrarily. God doesn't do anything arbitrarily, but in reality, everything God does has a purpose. Amen? Key point number two. Our creation comes with great purpose and significance. Our creation comes with great purpose and significance. We were not created on a whim, but rather man was created to bring glory and honor and praise to God. Many of you guys know this. Many of you guys understand this. And this is not a, a first time hearing this. But to provide a contextually sound gospel, this is, some, this is a direction that we are trying to get people as we study from creation to Christ is that mankind, creation, was created with great purpose, with great significance. We were not created on a whim. It wasn't just like, well, I don't know, God was like, you know, whatever, let's make a universe. You and I were created to bring God glory and honor and praise. This was not an arbitrary decision on his part. Let's create some context. Revelation 12, 3 through 4. It records, and there appeared another wonder in heaven, and behold, a, re a great red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his head, and his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven and did cast them to the earth. In the Gospels, we see Christ speaking with his disciples in Luke 10, 18, and he said unto, unto them, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Isaiah 14, 12 through 15 retells the story of Satan's fall 
and his prophetic demise. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground which didst weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation and the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. In these passages, we see that God's rejection of his anointed cherub is clearly a past tense occasion. Do you guys understand that? That what happened here was a past tense occasion. Lucifer's sole purpose in heaven was to praise God and reflect God's great image throughout heaven. All glory, praise, and honor were to go through Lucifer to God. Through Lucifer to God. All praise, all glory, all honor was given to Lucifer that through his body, God would receive praise, glory, and honor. Do you guys see that? That sounds like what I just said was the reason for why you and I were created. You and I were created to bring God glory and praise and honor. It's interesting. Lucifer was heaven's great worship leader, but as Lucifer fell, and Revelation 12 says that he, he took a third of the angels with him, as Lucifer fell, and a third, a third of the angels that were at one point in time giving praise to God, singing glory to God in the highest... A third of that worship was now vanquished from heaven. Lucifer took those with him. The purpose of Lucifer's creation, by the way, he is a created being by God. The purpose of his creation was to bring all praise, all glory, all honor to God. As he went out of that intended purpose, as he left that purpose... A great chasm of worship also left. Enter stage right, the creation of man. At the place where Lucifer fell, at the place where he left his intended goal and his intended purpose, enter into stage right, the creation of man, to effectively give the full nature of the gospel, it is incredibly important to begin with creation. It's important for us to begin with there is a God that he exists. It's incredibly important for us to begin with there is a creator and you were created by him, which then makes you accountable to him as the one who made you. He has a purpose for your creation. But not only did God just make you on a whim, but there was, a, there was a purpose to your, to, to your creation. There was a purpose to God making you. And if we look behind the scenes, what we find is that there was worship in heaven with God. But following that worship, there was, a, there was an angel who wanted to rise up to be like God, above God's other creation. And as he developed that pride and as, as rebellion entered into his heart, he took a third of the angels with him. 
man, and as you study through this, and as you walk through some of these things, it doesn't have to be to this depth. I'm not trying to tell you to go down this path fully. But as you make a clear understanding as to God's creation story and the, the understanding of, of Lucifer's role and now what our purpose is, eyes are open. Are you going to convince them to be saved? I don't know. I don't know. But now the person is fully understanding the contextual gospel story. They're understanding from a, from a contextual manner who you are. Who are you and why? And who is Jesus? So to effectively give the full nature of the gospel, it is incredibly important to begin with creation. And I want you to understand this. I don't think I have it on the board. Otherwise, there's four things. Otherwise, if you don't begin with creation, this will be an uphill battle your whole time. Otherwise, the character of God, the purpose of God, the fall of man, and the hope of man's redemption doesn't make sense. If you do not start with creation and that there is a God and that he exists and there is a purpose to your creation, that there is a reason for why you were made. If you don't start with creation, you are walking uphill both ways. Because now you're going to have to work through the character of God. You're going to have to work through the purpose of God. You're going to have to work through the fall of man. And you're going to have to work through the hope of man's redemption. That's a lot of work. Not saying you can't do it, but it's a lot of work. It's like opening a book at the middle and hoping to make sense of it all. It's like walking into a movie midway through and trying to put all the pieces together. So then the goal of looking through these passages is to be able to walk someone from God's creation all the way to their need for Christ, their Redeemer. And my prayer as you go through this, whether this is an equipping agent for you or whether this is an evangelical tool for you to someone else, my goal is that we would be able to do this in five minutes, one hour, one month, or six months. Brandon, you were saying you've had instances where people, Genesis 1-2, and it's like, oh God, I'm messed up. And they just realize, I need, I need the Lord. I'm, I'm, already, I'm already starting to see. <laughs> Praise the Lord. God was preparing them for that. But there's also going to be individuals who it takes six months, a year, a year and a half. And they're, 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 here, they're still here. They're kicking it with us and all that. And it's great. But then finally, after, after a period of time, and it's not always creation of Christ. God can use any part of his book. This is just a model. It's just, a, it's just an example. Okay. But as you start with creation, as you work through that, whether it's in whether it's the elevator talk, you got 30 seconds, go. Or whether it's the dinner conversation, you have an hour and a half, go. Whether it's the one month where you're on a short-term mission, go. Whether it's six months, maybe it's a person that's moved to your neighborhood. I don't know. Let's go. Let's do this. This is a process. As we go through this, this is the process that leads people to becoming followers and disciples of Christ. So this study is not about getting someone in heaven. 
Who wants to go to heaven? Yeah, me, I do too. Actually, yeah, some people are like, uh, me? <laughs> yeah, me too, right? But see, that's the question we ask. And, and, and honestly, at Midtown and at Living Faith, that's really not the angle that we're going. But for so often, that was the question that we were asked as little kids and, and the question that we still ask to get someone to raise their hand. Who wants to go to heaven? I'll hold it up forever if I need to. Who wants to go to heaven? I want to go to heaven. Yes, of course. The question is not whether or not we're trying to get someone to heaven. This study is to reveal to people that God wants to be reconciled to man. Do you guys see that? I'm not even talking about heaven at, at this point. Now, that's a goal. That's, that's a great thing that we're going to be reconciled with God, that we can live with him forever. That's where we want to get to. But it's not, who wants to go to heaven? Me? Right? It's not a question about that. It's a question of, do you understand, and hopefully this study will help to reveal, that God wants to be reconciled to you, that you're lost, that your sin has separated you from him? Do you want to be reconciled to God? In fact, God has desired this from the foundation of his creation, from the beginning. So let's close with this. So many people want to know why they exist. So many people, in fact, in their lives because they believe the lie that they have no purpose and that life doesn't matter. Did you guys catch that? You're like, well, what does that have to do with this? This is everything I've been telling you. Is that from the very beginning, whether a person accepts Christ or not, when you go through this study a couple weeks in, you know what they cannot say anymore? Is that my life does not have purpose. No, you're wrong. Your life has great purpose. It has great significance. This lie of the enemy where so many people are ending their lives and they're going to bust hell wide open is because they're believing a lie that we could be sharing with them. And man, maybe they don't get saved. I don't know, but they're, they're going to not be able to leave this conversation. They're going to have to leave this conversation knowing that every single one on this planet has great purpose and significance because God made it so. I'm burdened by that. I'm burdened by that with college students that I still teach and I see the aimlessness. I see the pain. And you know what they're looking for? Purpose. And I want to say you were made with purpose. It was, you were made with it. You don't need to look for it. God made you with it. It's right there. You just got to accept it. You just got to believe it. You got to learn it. You got to know it. But they don't know the story. Brothers and sisters, maybe you need to hear this. Your life does matter. Your life does matter. And I'm not trying to be some motivational speaker right now. Your life does matter to God. You absolutely matter to God. If you want to know why you exist, I will tell you right now. You and I were created for two main purposes purposes to replenish and expand God's kingdom a kingdom that was that was that was robbed from God by Satan and a third of the angels that God wants to use you and I not to become angels but to fill his courts with his praise to replenish and expand God's kingdom and to replenish and expand the worship that was lost when Satan fell you were made to glorify God now, before even considering the creation of Christ passages, 
What would you consider to be the landmark steps for a person to become a believer? I should have it above. I, I believe, yes, thank you. There are different landmarks, and as you go through this study, just as much as you are going through the passages of creation to Christ, as you go through this study, you also want to be thinking about these landmarks. Are there different landmarks that you can follow? Number one, we must believe that there is a God. And this is where you're trying to take someone as you go through the passages, and it might take some time. But this is really where you're trying to take people as they study through the scriptures. There is a God. Number two, creation. That he created us and this universe. Number three, we're wanting to walk people through that there was a fall of man. And that in that fall, what happened? We are now separated from God. We're trying to get people to understand that you and I are now separated from God's love. We walk people through the law. And guys, this is the thing that I love about the law. So often the law gets a bad rap. I'll tell you guys this. The law is a reflection of God's character. The law is gorgeous. The law is beautiful. The problem is us. (laughs) We can't rise to it. And so even though the law's purposes were to show and reveal the high character of God, it became a schoolmaster to us and showed us our fall and then our desperate need for Jesus. The law, man, it's not a bad thing. It's a beautiful thing. The problem is us. We can't do it. I can't follow it. I'm incapable. So there's a failure of the law. Man's inability to live up to God's perfect character And then we have the fulfiller of the law. Do you guys see this? Doesn't this excite you? When you start looking at the Bible from a holistic manner as you walk through this, isn't that exciting? It's exciting to me. It's exciting for me to see these different, the the whole Bible from Old Testament to the Gospels. It's exciting not to be like, and here comes Jesus. Why? Well, he was going to save us from our sins. Well, yes, but also he was going to fulfill the law, which made him the perfect lamb of God which gave him the right to then become the sacrifice for our sins. He fulfilled it all, which is why we put our hope in him. And then we see the cross. This perfect man who is also perfectly God, who was the fulfiller of all righteousness, the fulfiller of God's character because he was God. But guys, because we kept wandering, because we kept distancing ourselves because we rejected him because we were in rebellion from him and that was already established we've already talked about all those things because all those things are established we say and this is why God he had to put his own son on the cross he had to die for you and I Christ then doesn't just die for you he dies in your place this is where it just gets just stupid fun to me because now it's like you're playing with house money now man it's just like who wants to play I mean, people are stuck now. If they've gone through this whole study with you, they're stuck. And now they realize as they go through passages like Leviticus 4. And the first time you read that and you're thinking, how do I teach this to a lost person? I'll tell you what, hold on to that because we're about to get back to it. We're We're about to get back to those Old Testament sacrifices and the blood sacrifice. You know, sometimes in my Creation of Christ series, I'll throw in uh, Cain and Abel. That's not in there. But I'll throw that in because I'm like, man, this is a pretty good one. 
<laughs> I'm going I'm to just give one more example of why the sacrifice is so important. And so, man, now we're, now we're talking about the cross, and Christ didn't just die for you, but he died in your place. There was no other way for man to be redeemed. And then finally, point eight, the resurrection. Christ, because he never sinned, he took on your sin, but because he never sinned, by the power of God, he rose again, defeating death. What's the point of the resurrection? I mean, it's great and it's cool, but what's the point of the resurrection? You serve a God who has conquered over sin and death. He's conquered over it. There's no other hope for you to do that. But if we place our our faith and trust in him and the God who did, you and I likewise can be resurrected with him and live with him for eternity to the God who rose again. And so lastly, I'd like to say this. If you believe God is specifically calling you to be a missionary, which should be all of us, but even in the context of being a missionary going to another field, if you believe God is specifically calling you to be a missionary, then know this. People do not know the gospel. People do not know the gospel. They do not know who Jesus is, they do not know John 3.16. So when you begin telling them a story of a person they've never heard of before, don't be surprised that when you say, he can live in your hearts, Jesus wants to live in your heart, and that he wants to be your husband. And that he'll be all these things if you accept him to save you from your sin. Know that they might have questions. He wants to be your husband. He wants to love you. You are the bride of Christ. And he died for you. And you can live in him. And his Holy Spirit can live in you. You guess, right? It, it, It sounds like we're crazy. Because they don't understand the context of the gospel. Oh, and by the way, you will go to a fiery hell if you don't accept him. Is that true? It's true. But do you guys see how that can come off as confusing? He wants to be your husband, but if you don't accept him as your husband, he will send you to hell. If you do accept him, he'll live in your heart. Let's keep going. If you just randomly point to different passages in a book that they've never heard of, which is what we do, turn to Romans 3.23. Turn back to Ecclesiastes. Let's go to Genesis. I had, I had a student one time and, uh, at the Art Institute, and, and I was telling her about the gospel. I was inviting her to church, and she came one time, and I was teaching, and, and we were in a certain passage, and then I was showing a verse here, and just like we normally do, let's turn here. Let's turn here. Let's turn here. Afterwards, she goes, I see what you're doing. (laughs) I was like, you see what I'm doing? What am I doing? She's like, you know, you're going from here and here and here. You know what she was seeing? To prove my point. You went here. You went here. You went here to make your point understood. I see what you're doing. And I'm just thinking, like, that's what we do. We compare spiritual things with spiritual, right? But do you see how that, and she was Catholic, kind of. (laughs) She was like, I got it. And she's one of my dear friends even today. She's still lost. 
And I think in some ways it's because I wasn't able to provide a contextual understanding of the gospel to her. We just go, we go to random different passages in the book that they've never heard of, which is the Bible, right? And we treat it like it's commonplace. And then we just go into it using verses and chapters to support our case. Know that you might not be effective. And I'm not telling you to not compare spiritual things with spiritual, but, but provide context as to why you do that. Hey, you know, I'm, I want to turn to this passage. This passage tells us about this and this and this. And I believe it supports what God was saying here. This is God's word. And as we go through the scriptures, we see that God wants to give us a full understanding of, of the meaning of his intents, of his heart. So when you see these things, this is how the Bible sounds to a lost person without context. For a non-Christian nation, this is what the gospel sounds like without the context of the word of God. The Creation to Christ series helps to put things in proper context. So in conclusion, right, there's some different strategies that you can have. Uh, I'm honestly, I think, I think one-on-one Bible study is beautiful. Man, you can, just, you can just crack open that book and you have that one-on-one person. And, you know, sometimes the, the insecurities of speaking in front of other people, man, one-on-one Bible study is great. But that might not be effective for, for this person. Maybe they might know a couple of you guys and they want to be a part of a small group Bible study. And then, I'll tell you what, where two or, or more are gathered, right, uh, there's this crazy thing that happens where... You know, Jason, if it was just you saying it, people were like, eh, it's Jason, right? But if it's all of a sudden like me and Jason and Brandon and Wagi and all these people and, all, and you bring a friend and we're all saying the same thing, well, now they got a problem. So sometimes small group Bible study can be effective because now we're all saying the same thing, right? And we're all coming to the same conclusion. And that one person who was like, well, if it was just Dan, I could have just said like, well, that's him. But you guys all are saying this? Small group Bible study can be really effective, Sunday morning sermon series. Now, I did this a few years back, and uh, I was kind of surprised because the, the, the way that we had always done it was just in, in Bible study. But I'll tell you this, for anyone who might be a church planter, maybe God is calling you to that. I don't know. Maybe it's something down the road. You're, you're just, you're, you're, maybe you've prayed, and you've, you're just saying, whatever, whenever, however, I'm available. And maybe God is going to do that in your life. I'm convinced that the Creation to Christ series is, a, is an incredibly effective Sunday morning series, like a first series. As you begin as a church entering into that community, and as you begin from the pulpit, you walk the whole church through Creation to Christ. Number one, it, it equips the body, those who are believers, to understand how to effectively give the gospel. Don't you want your church to know how to effectively give the gospel from the shoot? Right? So that's really cool. But secondly, for anyone that we are bringing into the church, especially at that very beginning time, they are likewise going to be given a contextualized understanding of the gospel. So I'm convinced one-on-one small group Bible study or even Sunday morning sermon series. And I found that from my own personal testimony. I found it to be a great resource in church planting as well. So guys, that's creation to Christ. And I really have given you everything I got, right? Um, any questions, though, as we, as we conclude? Thanks for listening. I know, it's, I know it was a long session. Any questions about creation of Christ or what I've learned, what I've struggled with, or what you might...
Okay, and, and because the mask, it was a little muffled, but I think I heard what you were saying. Uh, I'm putting all my eggs in the Bible basket, okay? And that might sound really like super Christian and like I'm deferring, but when I begin Creation of Christ and I begin that study with people, I am wanting them to know that we're going to use the Bible as our text. Now, people will constantly want to push us outside of the Bible, but in agreeing to be a part of a study like this, and we kind of learned this yesterday with Brandon as he was talking about Discovery Bible Method, you know, as we are walking through the, the text, we are going to open the scriptures. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God. That verse is not, it doesn't even challenge it. It's just understood. I'll even go into that. I'll even explain, like, as we go into this study, the Bible is not trying to prove the existence of God. It just presupposes that we all know it's true. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. Fourth word in the Bible is God. And it just is like, in the beginning, God. And so I know that probably doesn't help your question. And, and maybe, Brandon, you can answer and help out a little bit more. But one of the key things about the creation of Christ study is that we consistently go back to the scriptures to support the narrative. No one needs to know what I think. And man, there's, there's books and there's people that want to, you know, show why does God exist? And there's all types of apologists that are out there that, that do great work for that. That is actually not what I'm trying to accomplish. I'm trying to look for people, lost and even saved, that are going to say, I'm willing to do a Bible study with you. And as we study the Bible, we're going to find that right out of the chute, the Bible recognizes there is a God. The question is, will you? And they might not at first. They might not. They're like, cool, Dan, it's cool. And we're just going to keep going. And if I have a willing party, that was point four of how do you create a healthy Bible study? We need a readiness of mind. We need a willing person. If I don't have a willing person, and if they're like, bro, you say there's a God. I don't believe there's a God. I'm kind of out. Well, I can't change that. I'm looking for people that are willing to study the Bible with me to walk through this. And as they do... God is just going to keep leaping off the pages. And so I do actually talk about that in verse 1 of our first study. The, the Bible is not trying to prove it. It's, it's announcing it. It's announcing it. And so I know that's probably not the best answer, but I hope it's, I hope it's effective. Anyone else have questions? Yeah, and so in that context, that's where we have to then prove, you know, I, I said a simple phrase, um, you know, um, my sin doesn't make me a sinner. You know, I said something like that, but, but I sin because I am a sinner. And that's where in these first early passages, we discover sin nature. Uh, and you can go to verses like, you know, Genesis 5.3, that we were all born in his image. We begin to establish that. But no, you're absolutely right. And, and you're not alone. I mean, Mormons believe the same thing. You know, you find with Islam and, and Mormonism, they're almost like, they're like, you know, two sides of the same coin, uh, which is almost every world religion, by the way. You find that same commonality. But yeah, Adam sinned, but I didn't sin. And so then what we're trying to do is remove the fact that I am in need of redemption. And we, that's why we have to constantly bring people to the fact that, no, you, your sin has separated you from God. 
And so we, that's why we're trying to establish that fact because yes, many people are going to go, he did that, I didn't do that. That's not my problem, that's his problem. Uh, so yeah, that's a good point. You might mention the relationship between, you know, if someone's deep in Catholicism or Islam or another faith system and they agree to do this, you might use the extended version of the lessons. Like when would you use yeah, the Yeah, that's a good point. I'm sorry. I kind of just assume like, hey, here's a handout and uh, I haven't explained that and, and I don't know... I, there might be a, a couple different examples of that. Did you guys get like a couple pages? I think there's like a picture format. That was like for people that, that sometimes don't speak the same language. And, and they, they, that's how they first started doing it. They had these post, posters. And they tried to ex, ex, uh, tell the story of Christ through picture format. Pretty cool, actually. Uh, but there's like, a, there's like a 26 version. I think there's a 47 version. Uh, Briscoe, you did a 10 version with, with your class, a, a much shorter version. And, and so, listen, you have to be sensitive to the Spirit of God. One of the things that, that Pastor Brandon was saying is that maybe you're dealing with a person who's entrenched in Catholicism or Islam or, or some other teaching or, or atheistic or agnostic. It might be that you need to really dig in and dive into a longer study. It might be healthy for you to look at the curriculum available and, and go, man, I think I'm gonna, this is going to be a long haul. It might be that you've already established a relationship with this person and maybe like a 10-week series is going to be effective and it's going to just get the job done. And so know that there's great flexibility with that. Be sensitive to that. I already told you that, that there's passages that I've, that I've added to my own study because to me, that's, man... That's what I wanted to do. I felt like it was an effective thing. And so I think we're out of time, though, guys. And so um, any other questions? No? I love you guys. Let's pray. Oh, I'm sorry. In a limited time, to me, it becomes a little bit of a narrative. Like I told you, like, like the five-minute conversation, the one-hour conversation. It requires us to know the book, which is why I would say this could be an effective study for yourself alone as well, or in a setting to where maybe you and another brother in Christ want to go through it. I want to be able to give the gospel to a person, just like Romans Road. Romans Road is very effective. Please know I'm not trying to poo-poo on that, right? Romans Road, uh, uh, you know, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, John 3, 16, John 3, 3, these, these passages that we can just go boom, boom, boom. Don't stop that, okay? This is just one arm of, that, of, of hopefully an effective evangelistic opportunity. But one of the things that I do believe is Romans Road becomes even more effective as you and I understand how to also provide a contextualized gospel to someone. I can walk someone through creation all the way to the cross in about a minute if I want to. Now, is that always going to, you know, win the day? Eh, that's, that's hard, but sometimes that's all we have. And sometimes all we have is an opportunity through Romans Road. And, 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 and so I'm not trying to say, like, dismiss that. If anything, let's just keep adding things to our arsenal. Biggest thing I'm trying to say is how can we provide a gospel that is not just what is the gospel, but why is the gospel? And I think that's really helpful for our results of, of talking to someone. So let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you. We pray all these things in your son's name. Thank you for being faithful to us, Lord. And uh, amen.